Welcome to Live at the Nut Bar. You're here with uh, JB and DC, and today we're talking to Harry all the way from the US. Hey, Dave, do you want to do the intros there? Sure. So Harry is a mad person, uh, my son to be precise, uh, and he's, uh, interestingly, he's worked in a bank uh, off and on over the last few years. But right now, what are you doing, Harry? Yeah, g'day. Um, no, the last name is complete coincidence, actually. No relation. Um, so, <laughs> no, obviously Lines. not. Uh, no, not, nice to talk to both of you. Um, so, at the moment, I am hiking what is called the Pacific Crest Trail. It is a hiking trail that runs from Mexico to Canada throughout uh, California, Oregon, and Washington states. It's 2,650 miles long, uh, which is about 4,000 something kilometers. Uh, and I've just yesterday actually crossed over the thousand mile mark, which is about one in one thousand six hundred k's. So that's right. What I'm doing. So you barely started. So for context for us here in New Zealand, four thousand kilometres would be from where to where, roughly. I think the length of New Zealand from the tip of the north to the the bottom of the south, excluding Stewart Island. Apologies to any Stewart Island listeners, is about two thousand k's. <laughs> So, okay, so it's, it's about double the length of the of uh, of Aotearoa. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and presumably it's not flat. <laughs> no, it's not flat. So when you're walking, there's a rule which is you you look around, you find the two highest points, and they're typically snow-capped mountains. One of them is the one you've just come from, and the other one's the one you're walking towards. So it is a lot of up and down, and there's nothing that's flat. Um, hence the Pacific Crest. Um, but that gets you good views, of course. Yeah. Have you yeah, been? Yeah. So, have you, oh, Dave, I was just going to ask: Have you have you done the bit sort of down around Mexico yet? Is that where you started? I started at the southern terminus, which was on literally the big Trump wall that you can put your hand through. That's you know thirty foot high. That's where I started, and I walked through the desert for seven hundred miles up to a place called Kennedy Meadows, which is at the foot of the Sierra Nevada mountain range. So, yeah, I, I did all of the rattlesnakes and scorpions and tumbleweed section. Yeah, and did you see lots of gun-wielding Americans? Oh, yee-haw, you see them everywhere, not just down south. Um, people, <laughs> love their, people love their guns here, and they're very proud. I mean, where, where you walk is quite rural. It's quite that country. And so every four or five days when you get into a town, you're not in a big liberal city. You're in sort of, you know, backcountry USA. So you get a lot of interesting types. I met a guy the other day, you know, name's Jason, where are you from, right? And I go, I'm from New Zealand. And he goes, oh, I met a guy from Germany once, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, I thought they were better than that now. <laughs> well, look, I'm stereotyping, of course, and it's a single anecdote, but it's funny, right? It's, it's sort of you're either from America or you're not with a lot of these people, but they're so friendly. Oh, like, I've oh, never yeah. been. I've never been somewhere where people are more willing to help and they're just so curious about where you're from and what you're doing here. It's brilliant. Yeah. So yeah. you're, you're in, in California. The um, I mean, obviously they've legalized uh, marijuana over there. And I know when I've been over, it's it's just so, so common. You're out in the bush a bit. So, you know, are you, are you, are you sort of seeing a bit of that sort of going on? What's, what's your perspective on legalizing uh, marijuana? How, how's that playing out in the U.S.? I mean, I'm walking through a fairly liberal set of states, right? So California, yeah. Oregon, and Washington have all legalized marijuana. It's a very 
easygoing sort of mentality for culturally for most people here. Um, I mean, one of the towns I walked through was literally called Weed, right? <laughs> so um, it's, you know, you see it on trail, you see it in towns, but it's not a big deal. It's it's like as soon as you legalize something, it's not cool anymore. So it's not a big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. You haven't sort of seen um, sort of like squatter camps and stuff where people are just completely demotivated, uh, you know, not working and just like hanging out smoking weed. That that sort of thing doesn't really exist. I, I'd sort of heard a bit of a that there was a bit of that going on in Oregon. I've never seen it. Well, I've I, I tell you where I've seen a lot of it is in the cities. So whenever you're going in and out of a big place, so to or from trail. Uh, when I was in Portland, Oregon, um, there was a lot of homeless camps, a lot of tents set up, um, and basically any big place you see a lot of homelessness. Now you sort of linked it to drug use, and I'm sure there's plenty of weed going around there too. But there's, you know, I don't think that's the cause or or anything of of you know why those people are there. But um, you you definitely see it, but not out where where I am typically because it's it's very yeah. bad country. Yeah. Hey, we'll yeah. come back to some of your experiences on the trail, but what what are people talking about in America? I mean, I guess where you are, you might see a person, what, every hour or two or five or at the end of the day, but uh, maybe share what, you know, how often you see people, but what, what what's the topics of conversation going on in America that you've sort of seen and heard? Yeah, it's interesting because um, America is one of those places where inflation is actually easing a lot faster than a lot of other countries around the world. And economic growth remained fairly strong, I believe, throughout the last wee while. Um, mm -hmm. I actually live in the UK typically, and, and it's sort of the opposite in the UK. Inflation is still very, very high. So people are optimistic that things are going to get better, but they're definitely feeling the pinch of, you know, lots of consecutive quarters of high inflation. Um, you see it in things, I'll give you an example, the tipping culture, you know, us Kiwis, we, we don't really have one, or it's a very rare thing that will leave a tip. But in the US, you know, wait staff and, and, other, and others in the service industry live and die by, by tips because the salaries are so low. And, you know, a reasonable tip, a reasonable tip used to be 15%. And, of course, tipping wasn't excluded from inflation. And now 18% is standard. I was having lunch with a guy from North Carolina, and he said, um, I'm leaving a North Carolina tip. I said, what's a North Carolina tip? And he said, oh, 15%. And I said, why? What's a California tip? And he said, if you tip 15 in California, you'll get death stares sort of thing, you know. <laughs> you won't, of course. I mean, they're, they're friendly as, and that shit, they... They earn their tips. They're the friendliest people in the world, and they laugh at your dumb jokes, and they call you honey, and you want to give them money, right? But that's yeah. just an example of of where they're sort of, you know, even tipping wasn't excluded from this sort of high period of inflation. Mm. I thought you were going to say no one's everyone stopped tipping to save money, but actually it's the opposite. <laughs> well, it's the opposite because I mean, Americans that I've met at least are just so generous, and yeah. people with are very conscious of those without. I'll give you another example. I got on the bus the other day, and a frazzled guy from Finland, you know, his, his bus didn't come and he really needed to get somewhere, but he didn't have cash and the cash machine was broken. So I offered to pay for his ticket. It was like 20 bucks. And he, and I said, I'll oh, just PayPal me on the bus. And of course he couldn't get signal and he was getting really stressed and I, I wasn't that worried about it. And then another guy from Oregon sort of taps me on the shoulder and he chucks me 20 bucks and he goes, here, you take the 20 bucks. I'm not worried about it. Like, I, you know, I'm comfortable and I'd rather just see you both relax and chill out. And mm. and I've had so many instances of of generosity either that I've experienced or seen 
And it just sort of typifies that Americans, at least the ones I've interacted with, are so generous and open and friendly, um, you know, of, of each other and of people from abroad too. Do you think New Zealand is perhaps like that outside of the cities? Like, you know, you sort of hear that from overseas tourists, how friendly New Zealand is. So is is that sort of a uniquely outside of the cities thing over the world, perhaps? Or It's a tough question. I've, I've been to a lot of places around the world and I've met some incredibly friendly, open, generous, lovely people everywhere I've gone. And that has been both in big cities and outside. So, you know, I, I've been to Iran. I went to Tehran, which is the capital, so big city. And I got invited skiing. I got invited for dinner. People were just like falling over themselves to say hi to us and, and offer us, you know, some form of hospitality. And then likewise, out in the desert, the middle of nowhere, you know, these people with next to nothing would come over to you and say, you know, do you want a portion of our recently sacrificed sheep or whatever it was you know was on the menu that day um so i don't know i think i think i think maybe i think one thing i've realized is that you've got to be open to sort of receiving support and generosity and in the cities we tend to close ourselves off a bit like if you're walking down queen street or lampton quay in wellington you sort of don't interact with people do you? you keep your eyes ahead of you you just focus on where you're going but if you're out in the country you wave at people whether you're on the road driving whether you're just walking down the street, you say hello. And I think it's the sort of small community aspect that brings people closer. In a big city, it can be quite lonely and isolating. So maybe there's something mm. in that too. Yeah. Hey, just as a sidebar, um, Harry mentioned Iran. He's also been to North Korea, Russia, Cuba, <laughs> and, um, and about another 80 countries. So what, what's, why, why do you go to all these weird places and do crazy things? Well, I think North Korea thinks New Zealand's pretty weird, you know. Um, <laughs> it's like you learn so much from leaving home. And like I sort of mentioned earlier, I've lived in the UK now for, for three and a half years. Um, and a big driver for me for leaving was to, to see and experience the world. And you learn a lot about home when you leave. You get a perspective you can't have when you're there. And I think um, I'm a big believer in, in yeah, it's very cliche, you know, eat, pray, love type stuff. But if you, if you leave home, you learn to appreciate what you've left and, and you learn a lot and you grow as a person. And there's so many upsides and very little downsides. So w why wouldn't you, you know, are you on the top of the CIA hit list with all those places on your passport? Getting a US visa wasn't easy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, you're hey, what about let's let's switch to politics for a second because that's fascinating in the US at the moment. I mean, uh, on the trail, what what's what's the conversation about Trump? Is he gonna is he gonna get in again? I mean, he'll almost certainly be the Republican nominee. the The Republican Party can't pull together an alternative. Um, the Republican Party are too afraid to say that Trump isn't a good leader which inevitably means if you don't present an alternative, well, guess what? He'll be re-elected as the nominee, at least. Um, yeah. Where I'm, It's interesting because where I'm traveling, I'm, I'm in conservative parts of fairly liberal states. So yeah. you get a bit of, you know, a, a telltale sign is the American flag off the back of your ute, um, you know, which is 4,000 times bigger than a ute is in New Zealand, of course. Um, and it, to be honest, it's one of those things, at least on trail, people don't talk about a lot. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I say the trail like it's this thing. It, it sort of is, but it's it's almost one of those, not a taboo subject, but 
it's a it's it's a unifier rather than a divider, and it's just one of yeah. those topics that aren't talked about much. So, but look, you definitely see your Trump flags and signs, and you see your Biden signs. Um, but look, these three states I'm walking through are all blue and blue, and they'll be voting Biden on the whole. Um, and if you ask me, which you didn't, but you are, I think it, it'll be close. But I think you know there's a lot of uphill for Trump, and and uh, yeah, my money's on Biden. Yeah, yeah, probably the world would be <laughs> behind that. I think you, you, I don't know. There's this world global hate Trump sort of thing going on, but in America itself, you know, well, forty percent of Americans voted for him, which is one hundred million people or something. It's it seems weird to us when we sort of see the shenanigans that goes on, eh? Um, hey, what's the scariest thing you've encountered on the trail? Uh, I'll give you a bit of a philosophical answer. The thoughts in your own head after 16 hours of walking in a day with no stimulation like Netflix or uh, a book or something, <laughs> uh, that, can, that can get pretty scary. Um, <laughs> uh, I know that's not what you meant. Look, I've run into <laughs> rattlesnakes and, and I haven't seen a bee yet, funnily enough, but I'm, I'm assured by many people I'll see them as soon as I cross the river behind me into Washington State. Um, the rattlesnakes are pretty gnarly. They, they're quite um, courteous, should we say, in that they give you plenty of warning that they're there. They'll give you a big hiss and a rattle and it scares the shit out of you, but it, it serves to warn you that they're there and so you can go around them. But I've almost stood on some big suckers and they look, they look pretty mean, you know. Um, and, and sometimes when you're lying in your tent at night and it's dark and you're on your own, you sort of psych yourself out and think, oh, I'm going to get robbed or stabbed or eaten by a bear but of course nothing bad happens you know most people are generally good and looking out for you so uh, nothing too scary yeah and had climate change you know the climate crisis as it's called in New Zealand is that the sort of way Americans think about climate is crisis the word and is it a big top of a conversation or or is that a New Zealand thing no, it is, but in different ways to New Zealand. So you hear less about a climate crisis and you hear more about almost the, the symptoms of the climate crisis. So the big one this year, of course, was snow. Uh, there was a 300% snowfall, which means three times as much snow as a normal year in, in a lot of the trail. And at one point in about April, I think something like 90% of the whole trail was covered with snow, which is just unprecedented. And of course, that is a, an absolute directly linkable symptom to uh, climate change. You know, it's not just about warming, it's also about extreme weather events. And this is a classic example of one. And of course, that's that's what all anyone was talking about. Uh, the other big one, of course, is wildfires. So in Canada mm. at the moment, there are raging wildfires, the worst year ever in Canadian history. And of course, when you're walking towards Canada, <laughs> that plays on your mind a little bit. Um, yeah. But, you know, you see a lot of evidence of, of, of other things um, like energy, for example. They've got these huge wind farms. I remember back in the desert section, I spent two days walking through a wind farm, big turbines, two days of nonstop walking. They're just enormous. Nothing in New Zealand exists on that scale. And I've got, a, I've got one great quick story about a, uh, I met a shopkeeper and a guy came into a shop and he said, Where, where's the best place to put my boat in? And, and the shopkeeper goes, he's sort of thinking, we're in the middle of the, the desert. You know what I mean? It's one of the driest places on earth. Death Valley's like 50 miles away, which is the hottest, driest place on earth just about. And he goes, what do you mean, where do I put my boat in? And the guy's going, yeah, the lake. Like, where's the best place to put the boat in? 
and he and he twigged after a while that he thought the solar farm of solar panels it's so big he thought it was a lake because the scale <laughs> of these things is just monumental like we can't imagine it in New Zealand because we just simply don't have that much space but you can look in every direction over the horizon and it's just solar panels right so Got you know, you. wow, it's incredible. <laughs> so he'd been what driving along and seeing this shimmering thing that he thought was the lake. Is that exactly? And and like this is no yeah. bullshit. This isn't like a joke. Like this, like this guy was seriously thinking it was a body of water because it, you know from a distance it does. You know these these mirrors look like and, and they're so big and vast. Um, mm. But you know renewables, it's good stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, just think about your band spent a lot of time in the UK, uh, which is sort of your home at the moment. What what's the mood there like? What you know, inflation's really high there, interest rates are high. What's what's the mood over there like? Uh it's quite different to what I've experienced in the US. I think inflation is stubbornly high and, and the US is slower to sorry, the UK has been slower to recover than the US and people are feeling that. The big one is energy prices, so there's a thing in the UK called the energy cap, which is basically a limit on the price you pay per unit of electricity. And it's been fixed for a long time, but they were always going to expire. And in the last year or two, they've sort of periodically limits have been expiring, which means people's energy has been getting more and more expensive. And it just so happened to, to be happening at the same time that all of this inflation uh, was, was rife as well. So people are really feeling it in the pocket. Um, mm. and um, every one of my friends, colleagues is feeling less well off because they are in real terms, they can buy less with what they earn. And so people are saving and, you know, something like buying a house or going on big lavish holidays is uh, a lot harder to to do for most people. Mm. Mm. Is home ownership a big thing uh, in the UK, in US from what you've seen? I don't know as much about the US, but in the UK, there's a scheme called Help to Buy, which is um, where the government basically stumps up a portion of your initial deposit on a home. So you might contribute 5%, the government contributes 5%, then you borrow 90 or something like that. Even a 5% deposit to scrape together is pretty tough, especially if you're trying to live in a major centre like London or um, I don't know, Bristol or Oxford, Cambridge, somewhere like that, you know, especially in the South, it's it's very tough to do. A lot of people my age, um, I've, I've just turned 30, um, I would say 75% of people my age aren't close to owning a home. Um, wow. I, I would say 100% of people are trying to own a home. I don't know anyone who doesn't want to own a home. It's it's just the initial hump is is the challenge, as it is, I'm sure, in New Zealand. But, you know, yeah. y- you'll pay, you'll pay, 30, 40% more in rent than you will on a mortgage. So once you're over that hump, it's absolutely worth it. What about, Harry, what about Brexit? I mean, obviously the UK's exited the European Union now. Um, how, how have you seen, how's that changed things over there? Has it, has, it got, has it got harder, you know, in terms of the relationship with Europe or, or is it not really all that noticeable other than maybe an economic slowdown? It was noticeable and, and excuse my language, is an absolute, cluster F. Um, I'll give you one example of where it's noticed is, you know, the NHS, uh, which is the, the public health system, which is publicly funded, is, is as in many countries, in dire need of, of nurses, support staff, care facilities, care, you know, people to, 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 to act in caring roles. Um, and lo and behold, where did the majority of them come from? Europe. And can they come anymore? No. 
you know, the, the, the story is, um, you know, these people who don't know what Brexit is try to go to Disneyland Paris and they don't have passports and all of a sudden they don't understand why they can't just go to Disneyland Paris because of Brexit, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so, I mean, yeah. we're good at shooting ourselves in the foot, eh? Or is that, you know, because you know, ultimately Brits voted for Brexit, right? But it almost became I mean, the, a movement the, the, in itself. Look, the, the reality was it was a protest vote. It was a protest vote mm. against the establishment, and people didn't actually have an alternative to vote for. It was a known quantity, what staying within the European Union was, but leaving was a very vague concept, and there were a lot of promises of how the UK will be better off and yada yada, and we send X hundred million pounds a month to Brussels, and but the reality is none of that really transpired into anything tangible for the average person. So so what happened was most people, your average person feels all of the consequences, you know, higher fruit prices in the supermarket. You know, the UK has been hit by inflation harder than Europe has. Um, we can't get staff for a lot of industries, not just healthcare, but seasonal work, labor, you name it. And what's the upside? I mean, it's, I couldn't name one off the top of my head, and I don't think anyone can. Mm, maybe the UK needs re-entry, <laughs> the opposite of Brexit. <laughs> Bre Bre hey, um, we could talk for hours, I suspect, Harry. Um, JB, final question. I'm going to flip back to the, the US. I mean, this trail adventure um, sounds absolutely fascinating to me. How much are you walking on average per day? Um, about a marathon a day. So I'll give you a typical week which is a bit easier so in the last six days I've walked 150 miles which is about 250 kilometers so it's about a marathon a day I mean today I had sort of 20 k's before 10 in the morning and then now I'm just at a campground sort of having half a day off my feet and then I'll I'll keep walking tomorrow so about a marathon a day and about uh, one to two thousand meters of climbing and descent on top of that how do the feet hold up? I mean, do you sort of start to get? No, I was going to say they must look pretty ugly at the moment. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's not a great look to be fair. You sort of you know you, you've got your little pocket knife with you and you're forever cutting bits of skin and things off your feet <laughs> and trying to trying to sorry to people if that's too graphic and others, but you're trying to hold it together. No, look, I I have been incredibly incredibly fortunate with how my body has physically held up. It, there's been no magic secret training plan uber pre-fitness i've just been genetically lucky to this point any well, day thank me for that harry <laughs> oh well that wasn't that wasn't at all what i was suggesting but i guess you can take that one um every any day could be your last day on trail and for most people it is 30 percent of people in a normal year which this is not um they they don't those who intend to do the whole thing don't get to the finish. I'd say this year it'll be closer to 20% because of the conditions and the snow and whatnot. Um, yeah. So, look, I, I every day I go on trail, I try and approach it as if it could be my last because it could. I could roll my ankle. I could get a blister that gets infected. I could just the mental toughness as well is something that isn't talked about. Um, as much, but it, I think that's the biggest challenge for most people, myself included, is just mentally being away from the things that you know and your home comforts and, and the people you love. You know, that really drains on you when that's all you have to think about for 16 hours a day when you're walking, right? So um, it's tough. When will you be um, finished? Maybe, but... Yeah, when, 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 when will you finish this thing? 
Well, to put it roughly. into perspective, I, I've done, I've been walking for close to two months and I've done just over, just under 40% of the trail. Wow. So you can sort of extrapolate <laughs> from there. <laughs> yeah, it's a long way, it's you know. Huge. Yeah. Look, yeah. Like, you know, I, look, I, I, I just, sorry, just, I want to make it out. I'm nothing special, right? Any, you see all types of people out here doing it. And, and the thing that differentiates people here from the people who aren't here is that they decided to come. It's not body, you know, shape or size. It's not your background. It's, 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 it's just what's up top, you know, what's in your head and how much you want to do it. And you see all kinds of people out here. And the thing that unifies people is just that they really, really, really wanted to be here. So they are. And Harry, which was harder, um, running across the Namib Desert a few years ago, which you did, six marathons and a double marathon, I think it was, or or the Mongol rally from London to Mongolia in a beat-up 200-pound car, or this, like, or are they all just unique in their own way? They are and they aren't. I mean, they've got their own differences, you know, driving for three months on end across you know, the Mongolian steppe and, and every country that ends with Stan is in itself quite <laughs> challenging and interesting. But um, look, I think the the unifying challenge is the mental aspect, which is, you know, you yeah. don't have to be here in, in three days in this modern age. You could be at home on your couch watching Netflix. So what the hell are you <laughs> suffering for, right? Um, yeah. I, the, the Namibia race was 250K over six days and that was tough. That was the toughest thing I ever did. Um, you know, but... <laughs> the reality is what I'm doing now, I'm doing that every six days back to back. You know, I've, like I said, I've done 150 mm. miles, which is the same distance over the last six days, but I've worked up to that over two months. So what, and this is the other thing, what, what starts out seemingly impossible or, or ridiculous becomes mm. your, your normal life. Right. And it's the same yeah. with anything. If you, if you do it every day, it becomes easier and easier. And then you just get on with it. And all of a sudden you've walked a thousand miles and you're, you're mm. invited onto a podcast with your dad. Yeah. Hey, um, have you got a do blog or uh, publish your story? Uh, no, I don't. I have an Instagram account. Um, I'm not sure how many of your your listeners will, will pop into that, but if you go and search my husband hikes, my lovely wife Lauren, she's made an Instagram account, and I send her all the the photos and videos, and she does a great job at tidying them up and making me look much more uh, adept than I am. So if you want to check out what I'm doing, you can go and have a look there. Okay, so my husband hikes on Instagram. Hey, uh, let's wrap it up. Hey, thanks a million for joining us. It's been really insightful, just the real world sort of insights that you get, um, often more valuable than what economists or bankers talk about, HAP. So thanks, yeah. Harry, and bye from me. JB, do you yeah, want to wrap it up? Say, well, I was going to say um, it's been awesome talking to you, Forrest, and uh, <laughs> I guess we'll see you at some point when you get back down to this uh, beautiful country. Yeah, uh, absolutely, JB. I'm sure I'll have my forest moment where I just stop and I say, I'm I'm tired now. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's all go home now. Uh, we'll be back next week with more boring banking stuff, but this has been one of the most fun podcasts we've done, I think, JB. So uh, over and out. Cheers. Thanks, gents. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. 
The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action.